Hi, and welcome to Mind the Millennial Gap. My name is Chris, and I'm an elder millennial. And my name is Jillian, and I'm a younger millennial. And together, we discuss topics from our viewpoints across the different ends of millennialism. And we are so happy to have you here with us. Hey, everyone. This is Chris. We have a short message before we start this week's episode of the podcast. This week's topic centralizes around the topic of mental health, and we recognize that we are all in different stages of life, and there are many inputs that affect our day-to-day lives. Uh, We believe that recognizing and taking steps to maintain or improve our individual mental health is paramount to navigating our modern life and integral to our individual well-being. We encourage everyone to look within and outside of themselves and invite everyone to take steps to improve their mental health or support others on their journey to improve themselves. Whether you are burnt out in your workplace or personal life, or find that you have more serious symptoms, there are resources that are available to you. If you are in need of help, we encourage you to reach out to a trusted person in your life or community, or there are resources such as the National Crisis Text Line uh, that can be texted at 741 741 and there are trained individuals to assist you for those looking for help. Additionally, there is a national crisis and suicide number at uh, number 988, that is 988, that is also available with trained resources that are in place to assist. Jeej and I love our small community, are here to support everyone on the successes and failures uh, of their life journeys, and we look forward to continue to be a part of your lives as a part of this community. Hey, Jeej, how you doing? Hey, Chris, it's good to see you. We have someone special with us today. The most special. (laughs) (laughs) How about you introduce everyone? Hello, everyone. This is the most beloved Sarah. We have been friends for... Since 2011. So So 11 years. 11 years. We met in college. Um, Our life paths were like, it kept us very, very close for a very long time. And we've just remained friends ever since. And she is truly one of the most beautiful, blessed, like just amazing people in my life. And I'm so lucky to have her. And on top of all of that, she is a badass that is getting her master's degree in social work. Mm -hmm. And so she is here today to talk with us about our topic, but I won't jump into that quite yet. Wonderful. Yeah. A couple things to start. One, uh, today's episode. Actually, let me back up. First of all, we appreciate everyone who listens. Thank you all so much for everyone who comes and and takes part, gives time to to listen to us on whatever uh, medium that you listen to us on. Uh, We would appreciate if you find value, if you enjoy what we have to do, feel free to to share us with friends, families, others, and then uh, feel free to point people towards us on our social media platforms that mind the millennial gap on instagram mind the millennial gap pod on tiktok and mind the millennial gap i can't even say it there's a tongue twister (laughs) mind the millennial gap on twitch youtube and uh at gmail.com how's that perfect (laughs) Perfect. chris you did so good secondly today's episode we are here to talk about uh mental health 
And so I would just want to headline and say, we take mental health very seriously here. I think we said that it more than once on previous episodes. Uh, there's nothing light about mental health. Uh, it's something that affects most, if not all of us. And so we don't necessarily want to stay on the negativity of it all, but we want to make sure that we're sensitive to all people and all things. And knowing that mental health is a sensitive topic that we take very seriously. Anything to add, Jeej? No, Chris and I are both big believers, like we've talked about before, um, and obviously Sarah is too. <laughs> but yeah, we would we would encourage everyone to really treat this mental health as part of your overall health and take care of it. Take care of yourself. Do the things you need to. Um, and and as we'll talk about, there are resources and helps for you too when you can't do it alone. All right, before we dive into the deep end of it, Sarah, was what should everyone know about you? What should everyone know about and me? Sarah, what was the most millennial thing you did this oh, week, too? Oh, yes. Answer that one first. That yes, it. the most millennial thing I did this week was stay up and stream Taylor Swift's album with the rest of the world and my millennial Taylor Swift lovers. <laughs> she crashed Spotify. She did. I kind of freaked out because I was like, it's not working. <laughs> What the heck? Will we ever hear this masterpiece? Yes. But then it was fine. Four minutes later, it was fixed. <laughs> we got to enjoy it. What were your top three favorite songs from the new album? Oh my gosh. That's such a big question because I feel like it's still <laughs> changing on the daily. I mean, I feel like uh, I love Antihero. How can you not? It's me. Um, I also think Sweet Nothing is just so tender. So, so tender. Very sweet. It's a very sweet nothing. <laughs> it is. And um, you're on your own, kid. That one is uh, track five, which is notoriously her more kind of personal, sensitive track on the albums. Um, and it is it is heartbreaking. It really is. It, the more you listen to it, you're like, oof. Yes. <laughs> if, if you did get a vinyl album, or if you are going to get a vinyl album, which color of the vinyl album are you going to get? Oh, Chris, I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> I do. I did buy the vinyl album. I chose the Jade. The Jade. It was a toss-up between the Blood Moon one and the Jade one. But I saw a picture of the Jade, and when you hold it against the light, it's so pretty. Ooh. It's kind of transparent, a little bit opaque. Yes, so. It sounds lovely. Yes. <laughs> oh, that, that wizard. Taylor. I know. Right? Convincing people to buy one. Multiple albums. One <laughs> vinyl 50 years old technology to making different colors, still making people buy them and, and maybe more than one. And it makes a clock. Yes. Is it a working <laughs> clock or is it just the understanding? Oh, no. no, you can buy four albums. They, they put together and then make the face of a clock. And then you, she has a stand that you can put them all on that then has a working clock hands. I have not graduated to for like another $50. I've so. not graduated to the level of Swifty. I'm just a innocent bystander. I don't know. You're getting close. You're getting close. <laughs> so yes, I, I'm sure you were not the only millennial that waited till whatever hour of the night it came out. No, I don't think I was. It was 9 p.m. here. No, 10, 10. 10 here. And then her new stuff I was accidentally still awake when she released her chaotic 3 a.m. surprise, which was 1 o'clock here. So, yeah. Fair enough. Thank you, Taylor Swift, for all that you do. 
Yes. Seriously. <laughs> All right. Diving in. Okay. Sarah is here as a mental health professional. We have a handful of things to talk that. about. I oh, try again. My, my watch apparently wants to also join the podcast. My apologies there, everyone. <laughs> Sorry, I can't do that. We need to make that stop. Okay, um, <laughs> moving on. So, so mental health. I think a lot of people in our generation are very familiar with, with mental health. And I think generations prior to uh, maybe are starting to learn about mental health, but like mental health as a whole, what, what do you guys define it as? How do you see it? Um, I see it as like our, just like our physical health, um, our brain has emotions and feelings in it and we need to take care of those in the same way that we take care of our physical health. So there are things that we can do for that. Like we go to the doctor, we can go to therapy for our mental health. <laughs> Which is cool. Or there's other things that you can do at home, too. Just take yeah. care of that. Cheech, mental health, in a sentence or two, what is it to you? Oh, man. Uh, just about what Sarah said. It's another aspect of your, like, being, your your health, your time. your uh, the, One of the things you need to be aware of and take care of. Um, and like Sarah said, with going to the doctor for your physical health and going to a therapist for mental health, like, sometimes something's just, like, a little bit like not optimal and it doesn't mean anything it it's like when your knee hurts like it's not you're not bad because your knee hurts it's just <laughs> your knee hurts so like taking care of it is what's best for you it helps you live your fullest life um and so taking care of your mental health is also something that can live let you live your most full life as well Wonderful. When I was preparing this episode, I had to look, like look it up. I I think I generally understood mental health, but one of the things that stood out to me was it wasn't just psychological well-being. It, I'm sorry, not well-being. It wasn't just psychologically uh, directed. It was also emotionally directed. I found that quite interesting how they separated the two when they're trying to sum it up and define what mental health is. And so uh, I myself still working on my mental health, like when it comes to psychological and emotional, like what is the Venn diagram there, Sarah? Um, when you say psychological, can you tell me a little bit more what you mean by that? Um, I think when I was reading through a lot of articles, it, it was mentioning um, that sometimes people struggle with like runaway thoughts hmm. or are uh, maybe haunted by things, uh, memories, uh, anxiety about having to go and do something, those type of things that maybe aren't leading with emotion. Hmm. So that's what me, myself, that's how I understand maybe psychological. Okay, yeah, so maybe psychological is more something of the way that you're viewing the world or the experiences you've had that inform how you interpret actions of other people or things that happen to you. Whereas like emotions are more the, the it's, I mean, for lack of a better word, the feeling <laughs> that comes mm -hmm. up and like emotions are a momentary experience. It's, it's a sensation that comes and it won't last forever. It will continue to move through you. Um, whereas maybe some of those more psychological things have to do more with your experiences, your past, and just how you see and interpret the world. Yeah. Okay. So I want to just like set that baseline for everyone. I know, uh, it, 
I don't know where everyone is on their mental health awareness and or mental health journey. So like differentiating those two is quite eye opening for me. And then heaven forbid you type anything into a search engine, let alone Google, when it comes to uh, leading with the word millennial, <laughs> I would say 80 plus Seriously. percent, 80 plus percent um, leans negative or like negative outcomes that affect. And I, I, I wonder if that's just a way to get people to click on articles. It might be sensationalized. <laughs> I don't know. But overall, when you just search like millennial fill in the blank, oftentimes it's uh, not the most positive thing to read about, right? Mm -hmm. And so when I was looking into mental health as, as it affects the millennial generation and other generations, it's it's anything you would expect. It's it's not the the prettiest story there. And I, I often wonder why that was, right? And so I picked out some themes for us to just kind of go over and things that we're uh, exposed to as millennials, Gen Zers, Xers, Boomers, everyone is now exposed as being a part of uh, a, basically an internet consumer mm. is really what it comes down to, right? And so a lot of the, <laughs> a lot of the articles blame the internet as, as a general theme mm -hmm. to, the American society's like mental outcomes, right? And the internet, very powerful tool used for very positive things. However, uh, because it is the way it is, you can post information. It can also be somewhat negative as well. And so like looking at the internet, uh, the, some of the things I, I caught thematically was um, there is a theme of potential reduced self-worth. Uh, as it is uh, related to potentially like social media platforms that people, or sorry, content on social media that people are consuming. Uh, there is an outcome of loathing and um, loneliness was also a derivative that was brought up there as well. And so while the internet could be a great thing, how do you think the internet potentially affects us good or bad mental health wise? Anyone can answer. Oh, you girly. Oh, man. Okay. I feel like that's a really big question, right? Because we, so, so I'm, I'm a social worker. There's different types of therapists. Um, and maybe we'll touch on that later. But, mm -hmm. um, so social workers view mental health and looking at things through uh, a systems perspective. So we're looking at how everything is kind of working together, right? And the internet, it plays a big part in our lives. It has, I mean, it's, it's been a big part of my growing up as a millennial and um, just the way that that has changed so quickly. I even think about kids these days. I'm like, man, I'm glad I didn't have to like navigate the pressures of social media in high school. <laughs> like, whoa, that is a lot to deal with. Um, and there definitely is uh, that aspect of internet usage and how it can impact mental health because a huge part of mental health is having uh, connections with other people. And sometimes the internet can make us feel like we are having those connections uh, in that moment. But they're kind of fleeting in nature. You know, there's that quick dopamine hit and stuff. And so I'm not 
like condemning the internet by any means. I think it's a very useful tool and something that can help us, but it also has to be consumed with mindfulness, <laughs> I think. Uh, and, and we need to be aware of the impact that it's having on our mental state and our lives, how we're interacting with other people, our motivation, a lot of different things. So, Yeah, it, it seems like it can be put into position to over-rotate on blaming the internet Yeah, often, and that it is the sole source for certain people as they consume different parts of the internet. Mm -hmm. When I was reading through articles, a lot of it just like, Social media is the is the problem, and it's like reduce your screen time and this, that, and the other. Yeah. Where you know, as a as an elder millennial, I can't imagine it being in high school at all either. <laughs> I I was not there. Social media didn't exist when high school for me, uh, at my my current uh, experience and my age. But even as like an adult, when I see certain people are like. Oh, we're living this most dreamy like van life. I'm like, oh gosh, that makes me feel a little bit bad about choosing my corporate like career path in life too. I'd I'd like to do that, right? So I, I don't think it's necessarily like the 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 juvenile experience of social media. I think mm -hmm. it can affect us all, where we see something uh, real or not real, contrived or like portrayed as something we would want and something better than what we have at any age, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. I think that comparison is very real uh, to anyone on the spectrum. I think this impacts people across all generations. Um, and also is very much felt when people are like, oh yeah, look at my dreamy life, you know, and stuff. <laughs> um, and I think with millennials as well, there's maybe a little bit of this unique aspect of like, we kind of created the marketing machine that is the internet as well, like via Instagram and like aesthetics and everything, like everything changed so quick with that, you know? And then all of a sudden there's all these people that are like, look at my perfect life and all these products, right? And you know, you, you, you see those posts occasionally that are like, remember the internet's not real life <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> but it, it kind of, it, 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 the more time, you spend on it, 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 you are looking at other people's lives or these images of things and your brain can take that and interpret it in, in a lot of different ways. And comparison is a very, um, I think normal and natural path to go down, uh, when you are looking at those images and being like, Oh, maybe I want my life to be like that. <laughs> right. But we don't know. We don't know every, everything that comes, comes yeah. with that. And that's hard to remember in the moment. Oh, definitely. And I think the internet is super powerful, has changed how we as millennials and anyone, honestly, any generation, anyone that's still alive, has changed our lives dramatically, mm -hmm. right? It's brought us information. It's brought us maybe uh, information that wasn't available to us. We, we see things differently now. We potentially have more facts to make more decisions mm -hmm. it's faster i remember as a kid having to go to like index the encyclopedia off of the shelf in my classroom that's no longer <laughs> a thing anymore but what's your take jeech internet wise in mental health you know until you brought it up right now i had never really thought of it as um, a factor in mental health and but i absolutely can see like it was fascinating to let 
to like hear you guys talk about it, particularly in the fact that um, mental health, like part of our mental health is connecting with other people. Because I totally feel like I'm connected to people, even when I'm just viewing their stories, it's like a one-way directional something, but I'm like, oh yeah, they're my friend. Like people I know in real life, almost like parasocial relationships you develop on the internet too. Um, And so that like, I've been like noodling on that since you kind of talked about it being like, wow, how has like the need for interaction face-to-face or via text or something changed with the advent of social media? Like it would be interesting to see data on that it would be and even uh, one thing that it makes me laugh and think about is like are high school reunions dying because of the internet you went to a high school reunion right i did how well attended was it uh there was maybe like 80 people there in a class of 300 so i mean not bad a lot of people um still are pretty local to the area that we live um so it was well attended, but it was funny to see people. I was like, oh, I feel like I've been updated on your life because we've followed each other for the past 10 years. Right? <laughs> right. Yeah. That is super interesting. Yeah. I'm, I'm old enough to say I didn't go to either of my uh, reunions. <laughs> uh, one being in uh, COVID. So mm. good excuse not to go. But speaking, speaking of connection and being able, so I think the internet where it potentially creates a scenario of less phys, uh, in-person connection, there's something about in-person connection that mm-hmm. the professional world's trying to discover right now in the pseudo post-COVID uh, existence that we live in. But you two are Kate Kennedy's best friends, and she doesn't even know it. So Kate Kennedy, she for does everyone, know it. doesn't know. She well, doesn't. you two do have a picture uh, with Kate we Kennedy when she time. came to Salt Lake. Yeah, we did. But uh, Kate, Kate Kennedy, <laughs> also uh, <laughs> a, a podcaster, be there in five. And so you would have never known this this wonderful person from Chicago if it wasn't for the internet. So I'm not here to condemn it at all, but I do understand through my reading and all of that how it could potentially have some negative effects to our mental health as well, right? Absolutely. It's also like, that was a great example. That has introduced like a, a person, Kate, um, and a community that really, I think we, we live, we live in Utah. We live in a, like a very kind of conservative area and, um, that doesn't always super line up with our viewpoints. And so it's like the internet is also a beautiful place to go to be able to find a community kind of outside of your geographical area, geographical, is that a word? Geographic (laughs) area where you can connect with people. Um, yeah, that might, might not just be accessibly around you or you might not know where to find people um so yeah it it has some upsides too that Mm -hmm. have been like really positive for my mental health as well yeah and I think even it can help you find people within your area too Mm -hmm. because it is hard to be like oh how do I find these people that have mutual interests or likes and stuff and so I think the trick there, like the nuance of it is, okay, this is a tool that we're using. And then how do we move this from just being something that we're viewing to then it's helping our lives be better or creating relationships outside of it. It's always fun when online relationships move to IRL. Ha ha ha. In real life. We were actually, we were actually, (laughs) we were on a ferry in Australia. As everyone knows, we were in Australia. I, I will stop bringing it up sometime soon. I 
I assume. Um, and we met we met this couple uh, in front of us on a ferry, and the gentleman was a pilot for yes. um, a, he was a pilot for a corporation, flew private jets. He had a lovely partner with him. She was wonderful. She was she was so lovely, and uh, they found each. They were both divorcees, mm-hmm. and they had found each other on Facebook. I I assume that they were of that maybe barely Gen X, maybe more Boomer type thing. They one Definitely of them looked boomer. the other one up on Facebook, <laughs> and uh, they they are married and enjoying their best life together. We love to see it. We do love to see it. <laughs> okay. So moving on to the next item. And I think taking that loneliness factor of how do you find a community? Mm-hmm. I think um, when I was doing my reading, it says millennials more than ever identify as having less friends, less connections, maybe if you don't label them as friends, uh, et cetera. And I think a function of that is potentially um, the career paths that we take Mm. um millennial generation most educated generation um from any prior generation itself uh a lot of millennials identified themselves as uh overworked uh the last three years the word uh the phrase burnout has become very common place uh, amongst many people in the in the job in the workforce uh, let alone millennials and so one article i read was talking about how uh the millennial career path being educated some stagnant wages up until recently i won't hold that true i think wages did increase in the last year or so um the anxiety that jobs give the stress that jobs give the the path that potentially we were all sent on and have to rethink halfway through Mm -hmm. our careers. Uh, How does, we all know how that affects our mental health, but let's stop here for a minute. Like, let's talk about jobs, right? Let's talk about careers and and how that gives us, potentially positive. I don't want to sit on the negative positive, but I know a lot of people potentially have uh, more negative outcomes when it comes to their career. Thoughts? Yeah, I think that sometimes if there's a lack of balance, that can be a really hard thing. Um, and there's there's a couple of things at play here, right? So there's the, the job, uh, maybe what you're asked to do for that job, if you feel supported in your job. Um, and then also kind of this uh, as millennials too there there are things that as society we were told as well that come into play that can really impact your mental health and it's worthwhile to acknowledge those things as well of how we have internalized some of the messaging that society has given us about what a job should look like or what it should be and and how that impacts us so part of it can be the setting we're in the relationship that we have with our job and then Part of it can be this bigger thing that like the system has made us maybe feel like we are deficient, but that's absolutely not true. But we've internalized that message that way. So No, I think so. I think one of the anecdotes I picked up was uh, millennials latch on to perfectionism. Absolutely. Yeah, I think there's a lot of that. (laughs) And um, 
be to perfectionism is something that I see as a theme. I think oftentimes our generation, potentially even Gen Z, uh, find that if, if we haven't achieved something within a short period of time, career-wise, uh, we go look for it somewhere else, right? Uh, yeah. Very, very rarely will I see a millennial stay one at a company, two in a career, three in the same like title, more than like boomers. So, so um, a, a little insight for me, I, I used to do wealth management uh, a career or two ago at this point. And many of uh, my clients at that time were of the older generation, the, the almost retiring boomer type uh, generation. And you'd see them be there for 20 years, 25 years. And millennials, you don't see that as much. And I think there's a lot of factors to it, but I think sometimes that perfectionism or that speed to some destination that we, we define as a goal or a finish line for ourselves like pushes that. Can you guys identify with that at all? Or have you seen it? How's that? Jeech? Foreman of thought? <laughs> Foreman, it's still cooking. Um, so we've talked a lot about how kind of our traditional milestones are, are pushed back as millennials, right? Like we're buying houses later, if at all. We're having families later, if at all. All of that kind of takes some capital to build on. Um, and as millennials, we are still getting paid kind of under market, under the same, um, like we're not being paid equal to the inflation that we've seen of previous generations. Um, and so it's taking longer for us to get there. And I wonder if that kind of contributes it to, contributes to it too. Like we have it in our mind, like, oh, at my age, our parents had a house two kids, a dog. I can't afford to do any of that. And so the only way I know how to correct for that is to work harder, which kind of leads to more chance of that burnout, I would assume. What do you think? Yeah, I think that that is a really good point. That wasn't one that I had thought of. One that I thought of as you were talking, Chris, was um, so, you know, I am almost done with my my program uh, to be (laughs) a a uh, fully licensed therapist. Well, still on my way to doing that. But one of my teachers uh, had to sit down with us very early in the program and said, you know, if your guys's worth is uh, put into like the outcomes or what like you're going to get back or other people, um, then maybe think about why you're doing this career first off, you know? Mm-hmm. She's like, because school is a really great place to get that feedback. Like, you're doing a good job and stuff. Um, but sometimes social work isn't the place to get that. And so I think s- speaking directly over to the job market as well, you know, I I think millennials like that validation and that feedback of, like, you're doing a good job or, or something like that. And sometimes supervisors of... That, that are older, maybe like don't give that as much or um, we find that, that we've been told that like our worth is our work, which is yes. a big message to unpack <laughs> because that is absolutely not true. Your worth as a human being is way more than what you do for a job and like how you create money for yourself and other people. Uh, <laughs> 
So, so I think there's like aspects of, of that as well. Like we were told a lot, like, Hey, you like, we're doing a good job. There were a lot of like things along the way that we got like a lot of validation from. And then all of a sudden in the corporate world, I think some of us are looking for a similar validation and it's not always there. And so figuring that about, about yourself can be a thing that really improves your mental health as well as, Hey, what gives my life meaning or brings joy to my life? And is it my work? Okay. That's not necessarily a bad thing, but who's determining the joy that that brings into your life? So, yeah, yeah. no, I understand. Like I, I've definitely lived in that world where my work success made up very much the super majority of my identity. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've thusly pulled back in recent years to say, well, that can't be, that can't be everything that I am or who I want to be. And so I can see, um, and I, in, in Jillian and our relationship, I see how she's drastically different than me. Uh, and in that regard as well. And so it's quite interesting. Like, here's an invitation to everyone. If, if you find yourself being consumed and your whole identity is a function of what you do for work, take a step back, take a look, see if that's the true fulfillment that you want. Um, I see some people that have found their, their dream job in what they do. And mm-hmm. they, they love waking up every single morning. I, had an interaction with someone today that they they work so they can pay for things, but it's nothing that they want to do or keep doing. Right. And mm-hmm. so I think there's a full spectrum when it comes to that, but let me read you a couple of, of thoughts before we move on from the career or jobs, as far as it being a function of our mental health. Um, many millennials dealing with mental health problems at work say their office does not provide adequate support. Mm-hmm. Um, employees who work outside a traditional nine to five, which millennials more than ever uh, find themselves in that position. The gig economy has made up a lot of uh, millennials and Gen Zers. Uh, they're particularly vulnerable to depression, as are the minorities of those generations as well, including women, LGBTQ people, and racial minorities. Uh, globally, workers say discrimination because of mental illness is more prevalent than other forms of workplace bias. Mm -hmm. And nearly half of millennials have left a job uh, for mental health reasons themselves, right? Again, I don't want to rest on the negativity, but this is a reality. Half? Half is what's stated. I will definitely have... There's a laundry list of URLs I'll have posted uh, when this gets released. Wow. Wow. Right? So, I mean, Jillian's one of those somewhat recently. Just Mm -hmm. a, a... promising job very acclaimed for what she did for a company but could no longer be in the culture and workplace that that was and had to leave right and so like i i see that being very common for those in our situation right yeah no that that statistic kind of shocked me really half of people it's that kind of says like paints a a sad light on the state of workplaces that um there's not adequate resources there's not adequate resources for um for their employees and that workplaces are 
toxic enough that you have to, or, or not suited, like maybe not every workplace is, is toxic, but is not suited enough um, and accommodating to be able to um, like help or, or be supportive or um, provide accommodations for those that are struggling. That, that really breaks my heart. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it does. Yeah. And, and again, I don't want to rest on on the negative. However, this is this is survey data. This is I don't want to paint with a mop. Yeah. At yeah, all. Yeah. But this this is a, a lived experience for for more yeah. than the minority of our generation, right? It's a reality and sometimes when you're dealing with realities, it's just what is there. Yeah. So that's what you have to look at and be honest about those facts so exactly do we know are more um so i now work for a company that has like wonderful mental health support and through it i've been able to um kind of like learn more about mental health offerings in a corporate setting which has been very interesting and it seems like there are like several options that employers can use that is like a contract with with an outside service to provide mental health services beyond an EAP to, um, which is a wonderful thing too. Can you explain EAP oh, as I, an acronym? Do a really I'm sorry. bad job on it. Can, <laughs> can you just tell people generally yes. what it is? I don't know if they know that Please. acronym. Do you, do, do you want to explain You it? honestly might know okay. a little better than I do. I, I understand what it is generally. <laughs> I, I'll, yes, I'll, yeah. be, I'll be the one for all the listeners that say, I don't know it as an acronym. Okay. How's that? So an EAP is an employee, employee assistance program. Um, and what it typically is, is your employer will say, hey, within our network, we are going to fully cover um, X number of sessions for you for a therapist within our network, right? So you do still have some parameters you have to play with, but it's, um, it's, it's very useful. Um, short term. Short term, yeah. So you do like 12 sessions. If you're going weekly, that's only three months. Um, but that is, that is great. That, that can get you kind of in the door without looking at the cost and being like oh my oh no like a good starting place um and like I've used it I've had co-workers use it like it, it's a really important and kind of undervalued I think benefit that a lot of companies offer so here's your shout out use it milk your <laughs> milk your employers for every penny that they are willing to give you look into your look into your benefits on that um because a lot of employers offer it but there's also like um ginger is one that i'm familiar with because my company offers that it. it's an online coaching program um so their coaches not therapists which is a very important distinction mm-hmm. um and they do text therapy or you can i believe you can talk for that one too but it's all it's all virtual um and so there are like programs that employers have available it would be interesting to see if more are implementing them into their like benefits package yeah i think the onset of covid that that whole global experience that we had uh my lived experience with my employer at the time i'm not with that employer anymore uh i i moved uh during the pandemic like many other people did but uh, it was interesting to watch COVID be a catalyst for positive change as much as it was a catalyst for uh, the other side of that. And so the positive change I saw was companies doing their best to assist employees in 
a situation that they weren't necessarily exposed to, uh, had an understanding of how to navigate there as well. And so the company I was with at the time definitely went forward and tried their best to provide uh, employee assistance programs when it came to that that matter. And I, I hope it was more than just the one I was with. I hope that was more blanketing for a lot of people and, and their experience there as well. But I know not everyone can work for a company that has uh, money to provide uh, an enormous basket of benefits there as well. I, I don't want to sit there and think everyone can get it based off of what their job, career, all those things are, right? Yeah, but just a shout out again. If you do have a corporate benefits package, check into it. See what your wellness program is. See what see. your wellness program is. See what your yeah. fertility program is. Shout out Kate. See what, see what you have to offer and use it. Use all of it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay. Next item that uh, that millennials have to to process when it comes to their mental health. Uh, world events creating a lack of optimism was a very common oh. theme I found. Right. Mm-hmm. And so if we were to think broadly as millennials uh, America has been in conflict more years that we've been alive than it hasn't and so when I when I say conflict you know there's there's more than one Middle East conflict uh, I remember being a young boy standing on the pier in Florida uh, welcoming my uncle home uh, when his aircraft carrier pulled up and that was the first Gulf War there's a second Gulf War. There um, was the unfortunate occupant, you know, the the operation in Afghanistan for what was effectively 20 years until mm-hmm. what approximately was a yearish ago. And so, as, as Americans, we've been exposed to you know conflict and the outcomes of that conflict. And then, aside from that, as indirect, you know, indirect, there's the unfortunate events of the Ukraine and Russia that get news media. And then there's places that don't get as much, right? Africa Mm -hmm. has very difficult situations. Uh, The Philippines has difficult situations. There's human rights conflicts. And then there's potential government outcomes, whether they're uh, the country that you reside in or, or countries outside of that. And so they're saying that the year over year, uh, I mean, 9-11 alone by itself uh, was was a very big deal that reduced a lot of optimism. And so in one of the articles I read, they said in the 1990s and early 2000s, um, millennials of that age, obviously younger, were more optimistic than any previous generation of that age itself. And that has fallen off drastically um, as the years have gone on. Um, I don't know if I necessarily connect to all the world events as it associates to my my optimism itself, but do y'all have any thoughts on that? It was very common when I was reading through stuff. Yeah, I mean, I've seen that um, in, in clients that I've worked with even. Uh, just kind of that existential... Uh, existential? <laughs> It's good. hard. Um, it's good enough. Hard we'll, we'll dub over it. Don't you worry. You know, that, just Chris's voice, existential. <laughs> um, it, it just kind of that panic of like, wow, where do I fit into all of this? How 
can I possibly make meaningful change? Because I think that is a wonderful quality about millennials. I think we really care about existing in the world and the impact that we have on the world. Um, but knowing everything that is going on in the world, like our brains cannot process that all the time, you know? And prior to um, the advent of the internet, you know, we're coming back around. <laughs> Where there were three news channels yeah, that uh, only gave you an hour of news a day, right? It was yeah, a lot less. You, you could take things and, and process them. And um, he, even there was more time spent on these big world events. Uh, and now it's just like, oh, another six hours in the news cycle. Like, what's happening now, you know? Um, yeah. And that I, I think just depending on, on how your I, I think where like your values align or like your desires, you know, to make that impact, like that can have a big impact on our mental health. Cause it feels really overwhelming. It can really start to feel like us against the world, one person against the world. Um, and combating that is, is hard. Finding hope in that is hard. Yeah. Human beings as a species. Very resilient. Oh, absolutely. Right? Proven to be resilient. But the more information that is available to us or the more information potentially we can't necessarily avoid mm -hmm. can present a very daunting circumstance or a daunting reality to say, what what is it that can I even do? Mm -hmm. Right? So I can, I can relate to that for millennials that potentially find that as cumbersome to could their mental health outcomes. Yeah, and if there is a, if this is something that you're resonating with, that you're thinking, oh boy, yes, I feel this panic at times <laughs> in my life, um, there's a book out there called Hope in the Dark. It was written after the United States decided to go to war in Iraq after 9-11. So it's framed within the context of that. Um, I was not old enough to understand the general kind of hopelessness that Americans felt at that time. Uh, but this book talks about uh, the ways it, that you can find uh, joy or like do sustainable activism to meaningly move forward in, in that way. Um, there's one line from it, it, it that I have just carried with me, especially in uh, like the recent happenings over the last couple of years um, and even like this summer <laughs> that uh, it, it says joy is an act of insurrection. Wow. Does, does so, that assume that joy is a minority outcome then? No, I don't. I don't think it is. It assumes that, okay. right? It's the, it's the, if we become hopeless in the face of these big events, um, hope, uh, hope is usually a motivator to, uh, resist or to, want to affect change. And so if we lose that hope, it uh, and, and kind of accept things as they are like, well, well, this is the way it are, it, it, the way it is, you know, mm -hmm. the we are at war again, you know, uh, <laughs> bummer, right? Like that's, that's not gonna move us forward. We're just kind of accepting that when really uh, we can still find joy in these moments that feel very hopeless and in finding that joy that gives us fuel to then uh, resist in meaningful ways or to it, 
um, be an activism in meaningful ways, right? Because yeah. it, it is something that will help us fill up our cup rather than continue to drain us. And I know that I brought That's up beautiful. armed conflict as yeah. as a majority of, of my initial introduction of that. It is not limited to that, everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the outcomes of uh, George Floyd, Black mm-hmm. Lives Matter, the outcomes of the Supreme Court Roe versus Wade, wherever you sit on it, it can it can be a social injustice that mm-hmm. that you align to, uh, as well as any armed conflict, anything like that. It just seems just just adversarial things that are that are uh, presenting more and more controversy is maybe what I wanted to bring up there. Yeah, and that controversy is it's something that can get us down it, very easily. It's it's easy to look at that and feel very overwhelmed. But there's also ways that we can interact with it um, that still takes care of yourself and hopefully puts out something that aligns with your values. Yeah, absolutely. Thoughts, Cheech? I just want to cry. That was so beautiful. Um, we'll link the book in the description. We'll make sure that that gets done. But yeah. I know what I'm reading. <laughs> okay. Last theme, and yeah. I don't want to spend too much because it's it's a pretty obvious one. Uh, it it really comes down to shocks to the economy, mm-hmm. um, and so when I mean shocks to the economy, it all surrounds uh, financial viability of an individual, right? And so whether that's money, lack of a job, uh, the the current inflation that we're all experiencing. This mm-hmm. is an inflation that hasn't been experienced since potentially the late 70s i know i wasn't even alive then so that it's nice to talk about things with it doesn't span me because i'm a little old um no, you're just a young thing but i know that we aren't lining up for gas like people were in in the late 70s and those types of things but the double digit inflation on just regular day-to-day goods is definitely a stress and a burden yeah even on the, the cost of eggs lately yeah, yeah. even even cool. on the like higher middle income Folks, I can't imagine the the stress that that potentially brings on those who are more socioeconomically challenged mm-hmm. there as well. And so, so money, uh, as we alluded to with with the job there as well, um, definitely affects our, our mental health. And the opposite of that, I think, those who find themselves financially free can also have some mental health uh, positive and negative scenarios with some of that financial liberation as well, right? Mm-hmm. And so any any thoughts there when we talk about just money as as an input to mental health? Yeah, I mean, people will be like, money can't buy happiness. I think that that is partially a bold-faced lie uh, <laughs> because it can. There is some element of security that does really impact our mental health you know um think about the stress that you would be under if you didn't know where your next meal was coming from that's a a, that would be a big impact on your mental health if you didn't have stable housing things like that so i mean there are definitely elements of uh money that can help us have a stability in our mental health um i mean this book that i read forever ago that's probably now outdated because of inflation and all that you know it was there was a study done that there was no effect on happiness once a threshold of like seventy thousand uh, dollars, like that that uh, income 
When I was in college, it was a little less, but I can assume it's only more now. Yeah, yeah. So, um, I mean, I I wouldn't even know what that number is if it's, like, kept up with inflation. Like, I would... Well, that would probably be like over 100k. CNBC does I don't a, know. CNBC does a good job. Again, I'm not good with scale. Exactly. I think CNBC does a good job of putting an article out once a week to like sit there and be like, "Oh, what does this much money get you in these cities or what are the cheapest cities for those who are not as much, right?" I, again, potentially sensationalized clickbait. But it's very much a reality, right? I mm-hmm. think our wage growth is does not keep up with the the demands of what is put in front of us, let alone just day to day consumables in our inflation. Yeah, well, and even you think about how the minimum wage has been raised from like seven twenty five, and how long? I could do a whole. I could do a whole episode. I could do a whole episode on minimum wage needed to be set or not set. Right. Millennials and the economy. <laughs> <laughs> that is boring, and I don't think that uh, necessarily caters to our demographic. So, <laughs> moving forward. <laughs> Bonus episode, <laughs> Christopher. Patreon only. <laughs> <laughs> but i i I find it in I find it interesting uh, being in the tech sector, mm-hmm. um, LinkedIn, potentially not necessarily what it used to be. Um, but I'm constantly watching and, uh, maybe it's more recruiters than ever, uh, in the current phase of an economy trying to teeter totter on a, on Amer. I'm sorry, an American economy trying to teeter totter on recession Mm -hmm. and corporations preemptively act reacting to that. Um, it, it makes my heart a little sad every single day. That I get on LinkedIn and see another company doing layoffs, right? Oh, wow. I didn't know about that. And I think it's maybe a little bit more prevalent in the the tech sector currently because the cycle of growth is a little bit faster. I'm sorry, and having to react to not as much of the growth, right? I think it gets exacerbated in that Mm -hmm. sector a little bit. And so it's it's quite interesting. Uh, I mean, I could, we could come out of of, uh, the house here, I could just start pointing at buildings of of tech here that have done layoffs in the last like three months right mm-hmm. and so i can see how people expressing their frustrations with it people expressing even their desperation with it and it's quite um warming to watch how a community that doesn't know some of these people try to take them and help them find a, a pathway to financial viability again where a company mm-hmm. had given up on them right people are good Inherently, I believe. Yeah, I, I, I think so too. All right. Money, very obvious thing. Yes. Okay. I don't want to sit on that. The, the next thing I really wanted to get to was the millennial generation is actually known as the therapy generation. I, they haven't put on a billboard, not on a flag. They haven't announced it, but in articles they had mentioned. Yeah, they had mentioned. We're the therapy generation. Uh, that they're the generation that most embraces therapy Mm -hmm. however i don't think that's the majority of the generation Mm -hmm. from my observations only i don't have backs on that there seems to be a stigma associated around um, mental health generally and then seeking help for mental health from previous generations and i really don't think it's any 
fault of previous generations at all, but the themes that I found were uh, previous generations were like, suck it up, power through, even a lack of acknowledgement of, of that mental health existed on any like spectrum yeah and that um previous generations were more willing to put faith in a higher power and the reason i say higher power is that can be a broad thing it could it could be a, a deity something around uh religious faith it can be um a government official of any particular level of government that can mm-hmm. come in and help save but it, it seemed that acknowledgement of mental health and the uh, acceptance to help increase or make a positive change to someone's mental health still has a lot of stigma associated to it. negative stigma associated to it that might block people what has been your experience with that? Well, I mean, I am deep in the therapy world. So, <laughs> you know, um, my my view might be a little skewed, I guess. Um, I do think generation to generation, we always try and do one better, right? So um, you think about, like, our grandparents or maybe great-grandparents that, you know, experienced two world wars in their life. And... Uh, Great Depression, and there was a lot of trauma that happened to them, and they didn't, uh, you know, what they're called like the silent generation, right? They didn't talk about those things or whatever, just kind of, kind of dealing with it. And as we move through, I think we see kind of like a more of uh, an opening just towards uh, that that softer side of our humanity um, and wanting to do our kids one better than what we had. And, and so I think as millennials have grown up, uh, I, I see a lot of conscious effort and thoughtfulness put into like, what do we want our family structure to look like? Um, if I do decide to go down that path, like how, what, what do I need to address in myself so that I can be a better parent and stuff. I do think oh, there is a lot of that stigma that definitely still exists. Um, and some of that I sometimes wonder too is like how much of that is a function of uh, just the, either like the way you were raised or like your meanings behind what it means to be like male or female, right? Um, I think men receive a lot more stigma around mental health uh, than females do. I think it's been probably a lot easier for females to reach out for help than men who are struggling. Um, but yeah, I don't know. There, there's a lot of different things that could go into it, but I think in, in general, like people are more open to looking at what's going on inside and, you know, being like, okay, yeah, like, Maybe I'm not having a great day or I'm not having a great time right now, right? And I need a little bit of help. And I think that's where maybe kind of that step of like uh, coaches has come in to helping that avenue, but then also like mental health therapists and stuff when, when things are a little more serious. Yeah. Yeah. Thoughts around that, Cheech? Comments around stigma or stigma that might prevent someone from seeking help? 
so I wonder how much of it is stigma and how much of it is like fear a little bit. Um, so like I didn't try coffee for the first time until I was in my 20s and there is nothing scarier than like walking up to this like coffee place and being like everyone around me knows what they're doing they know what these things mean when they order them like this barista's nice right exactly I'm gonna ask a million questions I'm not sure how any of this works and like what if I hate this at the end of the day and I wonder in some ways like that's definitely my experience when I started engaging a like a therapist was like, how do I, how do I know? How do I go about this? Like, mm-hmm. and then you second guess yourself and you're like, well, are my problems really that big? And you just kind of get caught in this trap. So I wonder how much of it is stigma, probably a lot of it, but I also wonder how much of it is not knowing how to engage or how to find like the help that you need or not knowing like what the right avenues are for this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I think, um, Therapy, I'm sorry, qualified people to engage in uh, mental health helps or trying to increase the positivity of mental health are more readily available than ever. Mm-hmm. Uh, the internet as, as a antagonist to our mental health has also empowered the scale of mental health options that are available. Um, but engaging in formal therapy can be cost prohibitive Mm -hmm. to, uh, people. I don't know at what, what scale of measure that is, but it's not a cheap endeavor to go engage a qualified mental health professional. No. And it's not supported by insurances often. Right. It can be hard. And so what are what are ways what are things that people can do if it is cost prohibitive i'm sorry if someone acknowledges that their mental health isn't in a place that they want it to be mm-hmm. and they have the motivation to action mm-hmm. uh to improve it what are options what are things that that individuals can do that find themselves in that spot but formal therapy might not necessarily be in the budget oh yeah absolutely there's a ton of uh really great psychoeducation out there that will talk about skills or things that you can do to practice uh, improving your mental health. So, I, I mean, a big skill that, like, I will teach early on in therapy is the skill of mindfulness, which if you go look around on the internet, you can find that skill anywhere. It's a really great like starting coping skill. Like, you're just recognizing your emotions or, you know, being aware of what you're doing um and there's a lot of things that will explain it much better and more succinctly probably than i will right now (laughs) fair enough um but yeah so so you can kind of look out in there there's also tons of books um you know there's there's our patron saint Brene brown yes um she has done a ton (laughs) of work around uh what vulnerability is like identifying emotions um her most recent book is called atlas of the heart which goes through a bunch of different emotions and kind of how we can deal with them in like more effective ways, things like that. There's, there's kind of a lot of different stuff out there. I really like when it's called self-compassion. There's two books about it, uh, written by Kristen Neff. Um, that is one that can have work wonders on your mental health. Um, and it's a very simple, uh, skill and idea, but that, that book is also like a one, one that I would highly recommend. Um, 
just also as you peruse the internet, right, with anything, be a little bit careful. Um, some people will sometimes be like, hey, are you experiencing this symptom, this symptom, and this symptom? <laughs> <laughs> like, this means you have this rare mental health disorder. And I mean, there's a lot of nuance in those things. And some of those things are not as prevalent as possible, but it gets them views. So just, just be aware that that's out there. Yeah, you know, <laughs> there's a lot, there's a lot of that yeah. formula on the internet, a little less on TV, but more on the internet of, are you not happy with your current circumstance? Insert this person's solution <laughs> to take I'm you selling. down a path. <laughs> yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, be wary if they're like selling you something. That always is a red flag. Um, yeah, a- Amazon <laughs> FBA. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but but I think like those principles of uh, mindfulness, learning about your emotions when you fre- like frequently have them, um, and applying those things to your life can be a really great starting point, especially if you don't know. Um, and also even you can call around too to like therapy offices. Sometimes they have interns that are available for a cheaper price or like sliding scale. Um, just it, you can ask questions um, about if there's any other like alternative payment options yeah. like that. Yeah. I know often mindfulness is put together with uh, the practice of meditation. Uh-huh. So as someone who has not been able to even get to the beginner level mm-hmm. of meditation successfully, I know uh, there are apps for that. There are practices for that online. Mm-hmm. Um, Insight Timer is one I love. It's free. That's a meditation app. I know so, I know. Calm is a paid yeah. one, but Calm would still be cheaper than uh, potentially going to a therapist office there as well. Mm-hmm. If meditation connects with you, that's also another avenue there as Okay. And so when it comes to uh, maybe people who have a benefit or people that find themselves that a professional health, I'm sorry, a licensed health professional is the option, like how does someone engage in that? How does someone pick that up? And I think an additional question that if you're willing, if you can take this in that thought as well, because that's a broad topic, Mm -hmm. how does someone find the right person? Oh, yeah. You're right, therapist. You you can therapist <laughs> shop. I will I will put that start this out with therapist shopping is a totally appropriate thing to do. Um, I tell all my clients uh, that hey, therapy is a relationship, and I am working for you, right? And so if our relationship something isn't working, right, um, you just feel like nah, I don't really connect with her or something. I won't take it personally if you fire me and want to go try someone else. Right. So don't feel like you owe your therapist, um, a bunch of sessions to be like, Oh, maybe it could work or something. Um, if you are like vibing with them for a while and then they do something, I would encourage you to bring that up with them before just like dropping them because sometimes therapy can also help us work through some of those things. Um, but it's totally appropriate to when you are first, uh, looking for a therapist, uh, interview them. A lot of therapists will take a 15 minute consult call where you can kind of get their vibes. Um, a lot of therapists have like Instagram profiles, uh, where you can also get, get kind of a vibe of who they are, how you think you would, uh, jive with them. And psychology today is also another great one. You can search in your area. You can filter by what you feel like you need help with. People will put kind of their specialties on there. Um, 
and you can see sometimes even like seeing a picture of someone you're like oh yeah I think like maybe I'd get along with them I don't know <laughs> which it's kind of funny it's like like dating profiles for therapists <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah that 15 minute initial call too can be a really helpful thing um a lot of places will do that like free of charge so and so I, I don't think I'm, I'm sharing anything that isn't known uh I think all three of us on this couch have had some experience, uh, if not a decent amount of experience with, with therapy. I know mm -hmm. that I myself have, I like to think, graduated from therapists <laughs> onto other therapists. Gigi, mm -hmm. um, what has been your experience when it comes to the just therapy journey, finding a therapist that you connect with, and those types of things? It's definitely been a journey. And um, I think, like what Chris said, sometimes you can graduate from therapist. My first therapist was exactly what I needed at the time. She was kind. She was comforting. She really like made me feel loved in a time when I felt very unlovable. Um, and she was, she was perfect. I, I eventually found myself, um, needing to kind of move on from such a soft environment. And like we talked about it and she, she was like, this is my style. This is how I am. Um, and so I found a different fit therapist after that, who was equally as great, just a little bit more like, in my face would so tell me when I was the problem. <laughs> I'm the problem. It's me. Um, and, <laughs> and like that, that was really great too. So like, just like Sarah said, I would echo that, like having the real conversations with someone, like remembering that, like, yes, they work for you, but they are a real person and mm -hmm. like they have feelings as well. And, um, they are professionals and will, if they're ethical, will, will tell you when like, yeah, I can't support your next need. Um, so yeah, just being honest and, and taking the time to really find someone. I have had lots of first sessions with people that I didn't vibe with. I've had uh, therapists that I just, I wish I had moved on from earlier. <laughs> um, but yeah, take the time to really find someone that fits with you and your goals and what you need in that stage of your life and be okay if it, if it changes and if you need to move on. Yeah. Is that okay advice? Oh, absolutely. Okay. I think that's fantastic advice. Cool. Yes, I would agree wholeheartedly with that. Awesome. And, and a thing that you can be aware of, too, is um, there are different types of, like, licensures of therapists. So common ones that you'll see is, like, a marriage and family therapist. Like, they might um, be more, like, relationship-focused, if that's something that you're looking for help with. There's uh, clinical mental health counselors um, they will often choose like a, a area of focus that they studied in their program. Uh, social workers are very broad. Um, like I said, we look at kind of like the whole system, what other things are impacting your life out, outside of just like what's going on with you and stuff. So those are just some, some different considerations if you're looking online for people too. Yeah. And I would think, um, I don't know how, better help as a platform is accepted in the therapy space or those who are mm -hmm. seeking therapy uh it is a little bit to a lot of it more convenient yeah method of it and they have also a workflow uh for those who are are signing up or seeking or haven't settled on finding the right therapist for them there's a a, a questionnaire that will lead them into uh, a handful of people that's uh, more line up to what they're you're seeking there as well. So mm -hmm. I wish BetterHelp was around when I was doing more 
in-person uh, style of therapy years ago. Yeah. Some people really like that texting-based therapy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, think about what you want, what you need, what you feel like would help you most in that moment. Perfect. Mm-hmm. I know... Um, I don't know if anyone asked this question. I purposely left like how people cope with mental health. Yeah. Positive and negative. Uh, I think that was a rabbit hole and I didn't necessarily want to sit on that. But if you find yourself coping negatively, there's, there's so many documented like paths of negative coping. I invite you to take a look, potentially recognize what that is and then find the the methods that can potentially reduce that coping or uh, find yourself maybe not having to use that coping mechanism anymore uh, through a licensed therapist or if it's cost prohibitive, uh, finding some trusted resources as well to, to reduce that. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, that just too also made me think like, if you are struggling like very deeply with your mental health, like you're feeling like you're in a place that, um, you might be having thoughts of suicide or things like that there, you know, there's a suicide hotline as well in Utah. There's an app called safe Utah where you can call or text, uh, with a crisis counselor that will help get you connected very quickly to resources, um, to help you because in those situations, often there is a, a bit more of like a medical attention need as well. Um, where, sometimes getting like connected in with medications and stuff quickly can be very helpful to get you more balanced. So, yeah, absolutely. There's some very unfortunate outcomes yeah. I didn't sit on mm-hmm. in this episode, but are yeah. unfortunately more prevalent in our generation than other generations as well. Uh-huh. And so, um, this episode we will post somewhat soon, but as we go into the holidays, um, I think the holidays can bring, I'm sorry, these fall winter holidays can bring people a lot of joy. Yeah. I think a lot of people don't realize that the holidays can also have negative Mm -hmm. effects for people as well. So I think we can joke that maybe you have to go to a a family event for Thanksgiving and you might not agree (laughs) with everyone. But there's also the spectrum of there, there are lost ones and loved ones that uh, holidays can, can trigger. There, there's so many things there. Mm-hmm. But what, what advice should we give anyone as we, we approach the holidays and uh, addressing, making aware our mental health as we go into the holidays? Like dealing with things or I don't know when you say advice is very broad. Yeah, I, I, I would. Yeah, I would say um, I can I can pose the 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 maybe more joking light situation of, of Thanksgiving. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, there there are movies about it. There are TV shows about it. Of There's there's that that relative at the table that just absolutely isn't agreeable Mm-hmm. Uh, to maybe the direction our life is going or things like that. How would you help someone think that through and protect their mental health, right? Yeah, so one thing that I like to help people think through is just thinking through, like, what am I available for and what am I not available for? So am I okay to entertain my uncle's ramblings about 
things and just sit there and nod politely and it's not going to stress me out or like send me into a place or am I going to feel so enraged and feel like I need to fight them and like leave that conversation? I'm just thinking about that beforehand, you know, and, and making like a game plan with yourself just uh, so when those emotions do start like coming up, you kind of know, okay, no, I've thought through this. Like I, this is, this is what I was planning on doing. Um, yeah. So that can just be a really simple thing to do. So what am I available for? And what am I not available for in this interaction? I love that. Gonna use that. Oh, cool. <laughs> love it. Awesome. <laughs> La- last situation, uh, holidays are reminders of less happy times. Yeah. Like how would you help someone think through that? Um, so those reminders are probably going to bring up some sort of emotion. And the best thing that we can do is feel that emotion. Uh, it's a, it's a temporary thing. Emotions aren't forever. Um, and then we can keep moving on, uh, to the next thing. So, um, as Tiffany Rowe says all the time, (laughs) we feel it, we deal with it and we, we heal from it. Um, So, I mean, even heading into the holidays, maybe it's a good thing to start practicing some of those mindfulness skills because feeling emotions does require us to be mindful of what is happening in the moment and then being able to move on with that. Wonderful. Yeah. Any thoughts on that, Jage? No, I love it. (laughs) Wonderful. Again, um, when it comes to this podcast, uh, mental health, very serious thing. Mm that we uh, choose to take very seriously here. Uh, we definitely would extend the invitation for everyone to, one, become aware of your mental health if you haven't already, and then two, look at it, measure it. Where are you? Poke Is it where it. you want to be? Yeah, <laughs> poke at it, right? Is it where you want to be? And if it isn't where you want to be, if you don't find that you're in the, in the space that you think is possible, Go seek resources. Go seek help. Yeah. We'll definitely put a lot of, of information in the description here. And then uh, I, I'm not qualified. Jillian isn't qualified. This is why Sarah is here, obviously. I'm but almost it, qualified. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but if you, if you find yourself wanting help, needing help, um, and potentially just need someone to cheer you on, we at the podcast would love to do that with you. We yeah. will be your biggest hype people. Everyone deserves a support system of, <laughs> of some kind. And even if it's just someone saying, you got this. <laughs> right? Totally got it. Yeah. Any, lost out, any last thoughts from the couch? Do you have any last thoughts? No, just there's, there's, there's no shame in dealing with your mental health. So Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So, Sarah, it was a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for it coming so on. here. We, we will do this joy. again. Yeah. <laughs> I'd love to be back. <laughs> we'll do this again. Thank you, everyone, who uh, listened to this episode. We very much appreciate it. And we will see you on the next one. Thank you, everyone. Bye. Goodbye. Bye.